0: Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Find the right people for your business this year at LinkedIn.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. It's Wednesday, January 16th. Welcome to Market MarketFoolery! I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Emily Flippin and Jason Moser. Emily and Jason, welcome! Hey, now!
1: Great to be here!
0: Lots to talk about. We have some Snap, we have some United Continental, we have some Apple, and we have McDonald's Losing, yes, losing in court. You don't hear about that every day. But let's begin with the big deal of the day. Financial technology provider Fiserv is buying payment processor First Data in a $22 billion all-stock deal. Now, Jason, that $22 billion number represents a nearly 30% premium over where First Data closed on Tuesday. And first data up big today.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a, I think, a very good deal for first data shareholders. So, congratulations. You should feel good about this. Uh, Fiserv is a company Matt and I talk about on um, on industry focus here and there on Mondays. But ultimately, in a nutshell, this buys Fiserv market share into a part of the value chain that moves money around in this world of electronic payments, and it gives the combined entity. Really, a chance to, to cut costs and boost margins over time, assuming they execute. Uh, the mechanics of the deal, as you mentioned, are relatively fair. All stock. Uh, it does seem like FiService had a decent past 12 months and over the past three years. Before today's sell off, the stock was up 67%. So it's not like they're selling with the stock at depressed levels, and that's good. Probably could have gotten away with issuing debt to do this. But you know, and the thing about stock deals, stock is still theoretical, right? It doesn't cost them any money to do it. You see these big tech companies do it all the time, like Facebook and buying WhatsApp. So everybody, I guess, has an opinion on that. But ultimately, uh, first data is they're a merchant acquirer. And so they just play a part of that transaction when you're going from the merchant. To the Visa network, to the bank, uh, that—that's what Fiserv does. It could be argued that their competitive position is a little bit trickier in today's world with Square and PayPal. Um, that's why I think the deal was a pretty good one because I'm not sure I really feel as strongly about First Data as I do about Fiserv. Uh, but all in all, I, you know, probably a sensible, sensible acquisition.
1: Well, I think this is probably a testament to what's happening in the bigger space. I mean, we're seeing a lot of consolidation. There's a lot of small players acquiring other small players, big players acquiring small players, and technology in general, like IBM and Red Hat, which we talked about. I mean, there's just a lot of consolidation going around because we have so many new startups operating in the space. So when I see stuff like this happen, I mean, it's not really a surprise, right? You can't have so many different operators within payments or, or other industries operating independently there needs to be some consolidation
0: and let's talk about that space to wrap this story up Jason you talk a lot about the war on cash we talk about names like square and PayPal does this deal change your thinking at all in terms of that bigger war on cash
2: I mean it, it makes me it, it makes me feel like square and PayPal's position is a bit stronger perhaps uh, today than it was five years ago uh, now now to understand what fiserv does fiserv I and mean, these are two very different businesses. Fiserv is essentially a software provider for for smaller financial institutions, and that's a good business in which to be, right? I mean, you provide some good software to big banks like this. They don't want to switch systems really ever. So you deliver a decent product over time. You can develop some switching costs there, which is a little bit of a competitive advantage. But but I think the real question here is going to be, where is First Data's position in this value chain as we move towards this this trend of electronic payments. 10 years ago, First Data's value proposition would be a lot more clear than it is today. I think today, investors, including myself, would ask themselves the question, why does First Data need to exist in a world where Square and PayPal are becoming more and more able to do more and more things? That Question. I mean, time will only answer, really. Um, the nice thing for Fiserv is if for some reason first date is really fall, uh, business falls by the wayside, again, they only issued stock to do it. So they're not really out of pocket. Shareholders get screwed, but, you know, hey, that's life.
0: And let's turn our attention to the airlines. Emily, shares of United Continental up around 6% at the time of our taping after United reporting better than expected earnings and revenue.
1: This is really shocking, I think, to a lot of United investors. So, last year, United said they're going to achieve a new kind of strategy for growth via increasing capacity. And the market just killed them for it. I mean, I think a lot of people in their minds thought increased capacity means lower prices, competitors are going to increase their capacity, then we're going to see a bunch of airlines price for disaster because we're competing over fares and who can be the cheapest, and it's just not an environment that you want to be in. So, this is kind of their first earnings throughout 2019, and it's better than expected. And they're seeing that they're actually making a lot more Revenue from the increased capacity by expanding their bases. And I think they're going to continue that strategy throughout 2019. Uh, so it's really interesting, this news. I don't think a lot of investors were necessarily expecting it. But when you look at the hard numbers at what they're doing, it shouldn't be much of a surprise.
0: So this is a case of a business getting more efficient, or are they just able to charge a lot more, or both?
1: Both, for sure, both. I mean, I think the seat prices we see going down, but the extras. Go up, right? And by expanding the capacity, building out there, I think they have three main home bases. By building those out and making it more accessible, I think their idea is not that airlines are competing over the same customer, but they're actually drawing more customers to to fly as a result.
2: Jason, pretty sure also that Maddie Argersinger was telling us to keep an eye on the airline he industry was. for 2019. He was. So I think that that's in line with a lot of what Emily was just saying.
0: Okay, well, let's move on to Snap. The Snap soap opera shares a snap down almost 10% at the time of our taping. On Tuesday, the technology company said that CFO Tim Stone is leaving the company after just eight months on the job. Now, Here are a few stats. Stone moved to Snap in May after working at Amazon for 20 years. Now, in addition to his salary, he had $20 million in restricted stock with an option to buy 500,000 common shares. Stone will not get the majority of that stock as it was scheduled to vest over four years. So, he's leaving with all this stock on the table. What is going on here?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I I think it's interesting. if you see someone coming from Amazon who has such a quick turnover at Snap? Because then it begs the question of, well, you know, Amazon doesn't have the best reputation for company culture and employees. So how bad are things at Snap that it couldn't even last a year? So I mean, I don't have much insight into the Snap culture, unfortunately, but I don't think it bodes well for the company.
2: No, and I mean, I, we've we've read a lot into the culture at Snap, which again that's you're reading that but but those are the only accounts we we can really Go by and they don't seem all that clear. I mean, I, I like to have a lot of fun with this company because I, I really don't what like it. What is Snap? Well, what is this company? They're a self proclaimed camera company. I would argue that today it seems they're more in the business of revolving doors based on everybody who's leaving. But I mean, listen, I'm working a little bit on my roasting skills here. And I, <laughs> I came like up it. with a few I things like on the to right like door it. today, no, Mac. Like you scrounge through the change in your couch, and you're likely to come up with enough money to buy a share of Snap before a cup of coffee at Starbucks hey <laughs> I'm not saying things are dire, but we may need to start referring to the company as Snapped. Oh, oh wow. nice. Shareholder's nice. best chance for a double from today's price is a reverse split. Wow! I'm okay. out. There you go. George Costanza. Nice. On. Nah, just, nice! Listen, we give these guys a hard time, but really we should because this is a company that probably should have never come public. I blame the underwriters for that. It's hard to blame Evan Spiegel because they gave him a lot of money to do this. But I have a feeling you are greed going to blame Evan greed Spiegel. Greed is just greed. But you know, the bottom line is, investors deserve at least a competent leader. And he's not one. And and listen, we hold other CEOs to the same account. I mean, Kevin Plank is one that I've kept on the hot seat all of 2018. Put him on the hot seat in 2019 because we saw the same problem there at Under Armour. Executives would come in there work, and then they leave, and it clear a pattern starts emerging, and you realize that he's not the easiest guy to work with. And and so thankfully, with Under Armour, their COO and CFO have have stayed on, and that's the standard we've held. That's one of those red. Flags we've been watching. And with Spiegel and Snap, unfortunately, executives keep on leaving. I mean, this is not the first person to leave. They have a big problem here. And, and I mean, the other problem, and a really a damning chart I ran across on Twitter the other day from Rob Price over at Business Insider, I think this says a lot. There's a a Cowan survey that was done here in December of 2018 where the question was posed to ad partners: if given the choice, which would your largest client prefer to advertise on? choices between Instagram stories and Snapchat stories. Okay. 100% answered Instagram stories to 0% Snapchat stories. That is a huge problem. And it doesn't seem like they've come up with any way to answer it yet.
0: Yeah, those numbers don't seem good. No. Okay, so when we look out into the future, five years from now, and we're looking at Snap, has Snap faded away, slowly or quickly? Has it been acquired? Or has it come up with some sort of second act, and we're talking about the great rebound, the great recovery, at snap?
1: There is a hundred percent a second act here. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, wow, I thought I was it's a slow decline for me. I mean, for me, it's a. I'm not. I don't think it's gonna be a fast decline. I think they're gonna hold on for as long as possible. But I really don't think anyone's making an acquisition here because they still haven't figured out a way to effectively monetize. I mean, Jason Stat perfectly encompasses it. What are you getting when you're buying Snapchat? Oh, not much. I think they're probably going to struggle along for a little while and it's going to be that sad, slow decline.
2: Yeah, I I want to be glass half full and say there's something there. I tend to agree with Emily here, though I don't know I don't know what it is. Maybe at a fraction of what the market's paying for it today, there's something that somebody out there might like. But clearly, the platform is bleeding users. I mean, I admittedly never use Snapchat, but it sounds like a lot of people don't use Snapchat, and that's a big problem. So I think the only chance they really have. Is what we've seen other companies in the space like Twitter and Facebook do over time is acquire other apps to bring into their family. They're not really doing that. And part of that is probably them recognizing themselves as a camera company. Most people say camera, they think hardware. We don't like investing in that stuff. So I just, yeah, I tend to agree with
0: Emily. Well, Jason, you know what else can be a big problem? Finding the perfect hire. And making that perfect hire can help set your team up for success in the new year. But where do you find that person? LinkedIn. That's where. When it comes to posting your job, go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day. Now, most LinkedIn members aren't checking their job boards regularly, but nine out of ten LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours.
2: Just checking LinkedIn yesterday, Mac. Fact: a student at Wofford College, my alma mater, was interested in one of our internships, and so he and I have connected on LinkedIn, and we're communicating and seeing what we can do.
0: Well, most of the U.S. workforce is on LinkedIn, so posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity so that student, Jason, is not alone. Um, You can get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. Find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, let's talk Apple. If you have an iPhone, I have an iPhone. Emily, you have an iPhone.
1: I do have an iPhone. Um,
0: i what 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 model? What um, vintage?
1: You know, I had a 4S up until a few months ago, and I upgraded wow. to a 7S. Okay. A refurbished 7S. Okay.
0: I've got a 6S, Jason. What do you have? My wife and I just
2: upgraded from sixes to the new 10 r Okay, new. Mr. Fancy Pants. Well, yeah, well let's wait if, a minute. If,
0: if you have an iPhone and you had your battery replaced this past year, you are not alone. Apple replaced 11 million batteries in 2018 during its 29 dollar replacement program. Now, during a normal year, Apple expects to replace between 1 to 2 million batteries. So, they replaced around 10 times as many batteries as they expected that news just came out. So, apparently gone are the days when Apple can assume that everyone wants the newest model.
2: I did that battery repl- replacement on the 6 when they they were offering that that thing because of the, you know, they were pulling back on the performance of the phone. So, I took advantage of replacing that battery on the 6 and it it did extend the life of it. Um, it I, I thought it was actually going to be a little bit better, but it, you know, it was
0: okay. Um, so, but how much of a threat is, is this to the business? Because there's been a lot of talk about China and the slowdown in China. But when I see this news as an Apple shareholder, I think this worries me even more. And by the way, I'm not getting a new iPhone. You've got to like bring back the headphone jack, and you've got to improve the battery life.
1: Well, you might be alone in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wonder: Do people who work at Apple use Apple phones? How could they only think that about a million people would want replacement for the batteries? I mean, I know personally, my phone, you know, hardly makes it through a day with the battery life. I mean, so it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't have been a surprise for Apple that so many people got their batteries replaced. But you know what? I don't. Think it matters that much. Apple has such a strong ecosystem. And push came to shove when I was getting rid of my old 4S. I was like, yeah, I could get any phone on the market, but it's just so much easier for me to go ahead and get that refurbished 7. It was about the same price as an alternative. And yeah, I mean, the alternatives are a little bit newer, but the process I'd have to go through to transfer, it was kind of like, eh. I'll just bite the bullet.
0: So, you think this story for investors a bit of a nothing burger, or does it matter?
1: Uh, it might be a bit of a nothing burger, but I don't think it it bodes well for whatever person made that original estimate. I think somebody lost their job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a it's one where you think, well, as consumers, this is great. I mean, the phones get better over time, and and the phones should last longer over time. I mean, that's just the evolution of tech. But if you're an investor, that kind of sucks, because that means people aren't upgrading their phone as much as perhaps they used to. So, if Apple wants to get people upgrading more often, they've got to offer more incentives. So, eventually, what that all plays out into is their ability to raise prices on the phones in one form or another. I mean, we're kind of hitting that peak here, because I think we're hitting the peak of really what these phones can do. I mean, I'll say, going from the 6 to the 10R, I, I'm still not impressed, like with some of the user interface. I think Apple Pay took a major step back. They added more friction to that process in a process where they really need to take away as much friction as possible. Um, the phase ID is, eh. I mean, so I just I, we're in a point now where the biggest advancement they can make in these phones, in my opinion, is to make the battery last as long as it can. And, and that, to me, has been the greatest part about going from the 6 to the 10. Is Now, I have a phone that can make it through all day without having to recharge it. But I know those days are limited, too. Yeah. Um, so, to Timely's point, Apple is more than just the iPhone. I know a lot of investors love to just make a big deal out of this let's step back and take a little bit of a longer term view there and recognize all of the strengths of this business still and um, i think they're going to be okay.
0: okay, so any chance the new model I get my headphone jack back.
2: i i really wish because you know i i, I do applaud I'm grieving. them i'm grieving i applaud still. them I, I'm... for sending me the headphones with the new headphones the, the headphones with you know with with the new jack but I ran into the situation. I was on a plane the other day, and I'm thinking I'd love to plug in and watch one of the movies on the screen there. And guess
0: what? You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You could do it with my headphones. I could have. And my rotary phone. That was
2: a bit of a downer, (laughs) but you know, I mean, these are the advancements. You got to make these trade-offs. I guess. What's more important, the battery or the headphones?
0: Okay. Well, let's move overseas for this last story. This is. I think my favorite story, an EU judge has ruled against McDonald's in the battle of the Macs. McDonald's had been engaged in a trademark battle over the Big Mac with the Irish-based fast-food chain Supermax. Now, because of this judge's decision, Supermax will be allowed to expand throughout the U.K. and Europe, and more importantly, it means McDonald's no longer has the right to their Big Mac trademark. Um, the Supermax managing director hailed the decision as "quote the end of the McBully,"
1: and and this is not a nothing nugget. This is kind of a big <laughs> a big deal for McDonald's because now anyone can start selling Big Macs all across the EU. But I think my my favorite quote from the proceedings was from the EU Intellectual Property Office. I quote: "They said McDonald's was not putting the Big Mac trademark to genuine use," so. My challenge to McDonald's now is to start selling Super Mac burgers across the EU. I like that. As a real, you know, stick it to the man in that regard. I think I like it's that. a missed opportunity if they don't. I
0: mean,
2: who do you think wins that case though, right?
0: I mean, oh,
1: McDonald's, a hundred percent.
0: More than likely. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing they would say it's not genuine use. Now, having said that, I'm a McDonald's shareholder. Why are they wasting time with lawsuits like this? I mean, Super Mac was started by a guy who who, who says that the name came, came, came from a nickname that he was given. So, why is McDonald's worried about that? What are they doing?
2: What's more valuable for, for McDonald's? Is it the actual food or the way they've branded it? I mean, I think that McDonald's right now is more a brand than anything else. I mean, the food is totally replicable for the most yeah. part. So, but is I, anyone I think they have them
0: Supermax Supermax? No, McDonald's. <laughs> no, I
2: don't. I don't think they are. But I think that when you have a business that values its its branding as as McDonald's does, and they've built that stuff through the years, I think they're going to try to set every example they can. Um, I mean, that's it's a just, waste of money. It I mean, like improve
0: it. your food and just keep your eye on the ball. I think we're just gonna every time
2: Mac hosts Market Fooler from here on out, we got to introduce them. As they may Mac. sue me. They may big sue Mac me. Greener. McDonald's
0: right. may come after me they for will, my name. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's this arrogance. I'd like to see him get past us. Yeah. Yeah. Just try it. We got just your back. Don't try it. worry, buddy. Yeah. As long as my I have my iPhone 6s <laughs> with the auxiliary headphone jack. Okay, Emily, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest. In the stocks they talk about, and the motley fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.